Addiction Audio, the podcast from the journal Addiction. Today I'm talking to Dr Elise Hahn, who is a clinical psychologist and postdoctoral researcher from Bristol University, as well as from the Institute of Genomics in the University of Tartu in Estonia. Uh, Dr Hahn and I will be talking about her recent paper that was published in Addiction Journal, uh, titled Prenatal Smoking, Alcohol and Caffeine Exposure and Maternal Reported ADHD Symptoms in Childhood. Triangulation of Evidence Using Negative Control and Polygenic Risk Score Analyses. Dr. Hahn, it's wonderful to have you on the podcast. Uh, your study looks at maternal smoking, uh, alcohol and caffeine, and whether these cause ADHD. Can you briefly explain what you found? Um, yes, um, our research aimed at investigating whether there is a causal effect of maternal prenatal smoking, alcohol and caffeine use on high risk of offspring ADHD symptoms. And we used two different methodological approaches, negative control and polygenic risk score uh, method. And first, the the logic of negative control analysis is to compare the association of interest with another related association where a causal effect is not biologically plausible. But whereas in polygenic risk score analysis, um, genetic variants are used as proxies for exposure, which in principle should not be associated with factors that normally confound the exposure outcome relationship and in our negative control analysis, where we compared maternal and paternal substance use association with high risk of offspring ADHD symptoms, we showed uh, mixed results across the cohorts, um, which we included in, in our study. And these were ALSPAC in UK, Generation R in the Netherlands, and MOBA in Norway. And in overall, we observed stronger maternal associations in MOBA, where mothers had lower rates of prenatal smoking, alcohol, and caffeine consumptions compared to mothers in ALSPAC and Generation R. For example, for alcohol exposure, prenatal alcohol rate in MOBA was about 12% um, compared to ALSPAC and Generation R, where mothers had um, about like 50% of alcohol use, any alcohol use during, during pregnancy. So it's a quite big difference, but we still observe stronger associations in MOBA. However, if our polygenic risk score analysis did not provide clear evidence for a causal effect of maternal prenatal substance use and offspring risk of ADHD symptoms. And, and in smoking exposure, we actually observed pleiotropic associations with uh, several sociodemographic and other mental health phenotypes, indicating that there might be potential genetic con- confounding underlying uh, these associations with smoking and ADHD. Yeah, there's, there's so much there. And I hope to talk to you about those methods, um, the methods that both baffle and amaze me in equal measures uh, in a little bit. Um, so you found some associations, but they disappeared after you um, added in some of those variables and ran sensitivity analyses. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that difference? Uh, yeah, one of the sensitivity analyses, uh, what we included was comparing the associations uh, with prenatal smoking and ADHD with, uh, um, with substance use before pregnancy and with ADHD. And the idea is here that if we also observe the associations uh, with uh, substance use before pregnancy and ADHD, then this also gives us indication that this uh, association could not be uh, or could not reflect the causal effect because we wanted to explore the association, what happens during the pregnancy and with offspring ADHD. And, and the second sensitivity analysis, what we also were able to only to do in MOBA was to adjust for maternal ADHD symptoms. 
And the idea here is that ADHD is very highly heritable, heritable uh, disorder and the heritability estimate is about 76%. Um, uh, and, um, and it's plausible that, uh, that any observed associations could be explained by genetic transmission from mother to a child. And we know from previous research that maternal genetic risk for ADHD is associated with smoking during pregnancy. And, and in MOBA, we were able to see that, um, that adjustment for maternal ADHD symptoms attenuated the association between maternal smoking during pregnancy and offspring ADHD inattention symptoms. Okay, that makes sense. So, so your findings built on some of the previous research, uh, how do your findings differ from what's been reported before on this subject? Yeah, so many previous studies have used only a single methodological approach and which may not be sufficient when in investigating causal effects. For example, convention, conventional epidemiological methods like regression analysis may be still affected by unmeasured confounding as well as genetic confounding and may therefore lead to biased results. But in our study, we use these two different approaches, each with different strengths, weakness, and potential sources of bias. And then we triangulated our findings across these two methodological approaches. And the idea is that if results from multiple approaches provide convergent results, it is more likely that the observed association reflects the causal effect. And, and what also makes our study more complex compared to the previous studies is that um, besides maternal reported ADHD symptoms, we also included teacher reports, uh, also as well as we included different questionnaires uh, that were used to measure ADHD total symptoms and separately hyperactivity and inattention symptom domains. And this enabled us to investigate whether we observe different findings depending on the reporter and the questionnaire. Because many of the previous studies have mostly based on maternal reported uh, ADHD uh, symptoms. Uh, can you explain the difference between uh, maternal ratings of ADHD and teacher uh, ratings of ADHD and, and why you use both? Yes, some studies have shown that there are measurement differences between maternal and teacher reported ADHD symptoms. And it could be that because it's parents and teachers may measure different aspects of child's behavior. For example, certain ADHD symptoms may be more visible at school, which is a more structured environment. And it's also been shown that mothers with mental health problems or more harsh parenting behavior overestimated child's mental health problems. And um, many previous studies have used maternal reported ADHD symptoms, but we were also interested in investigating whether results differ if we use teacher reports. And we did observe a larger number of associations between our exposures and maternal reported ADHD symptoms. And it is possible that these associations may be somehow confounded by maternal characteristics such as maternal mental health or parent behavior. Um, so so uh, from your, from your um, uh, findings about, um, about you know, the heritability and, and, and the lack of that kind of, the lack of evidence about that causal relationship, what, what, are, the, what are the implications for, for pregnant women, for policy and, um, and for public health? Mm. Yeah, although in our study we did not find strong evidence for a causal effect uh, of maternal and prenatal substance use and offspring higher risk of ADHD symptoms, prenatal substance use can still have a deleterious effect on other child health outcomes. For example, there is a strong evidence that prenatal smoking has a causal effect on offspring birth weight 
and heavier alcohol use affects um, children's cognitive functions and other neurodevelopmental outcomes. There's still, even though like in our study, we weren't able to show that there is a causal effect of maternal prenatal substance use and offspring ADHD, there still could be har other harmful effects on, on child health outcomes. Do you think these findings might um, might help to reassure some parents who, who have children with ADHD that actually their um, their smoking alcohol or caffeine use is unlikely to have caused that? Do you think that might help some people? Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, we, we can say that, for example, that for smoking, it's not causing ADHD. But we know that there is underlying uh, genetic effects between smoking and ADHD. For example, there is shared genetics between smoking behavior and ADHD. And um, yeah, we can't say to parent that, yes, if you smoke, your child gets ADHD, but they are still in a higher risk of getting also ADHD because there is this genetic overlap between the smoking and, and ADHD. Um, so I'm going, to move, uh, I'm going to move on to some of the methods stuff now. Uh, and this is where I, I, I very quickly get way out of my depth. So can you explain the negative control design that you used in this study and, and why it was useful for what you were studying? Yeah, as I just mentioned um, earlier, that the main principle of negative control approach is to compare the association of interest with another related association where a causal effect is not biologically plausible. And for example, in mothers and fathers, they share the same confounding structure, such as home environment, but only mothers provide intrauterine environment. So if the maternal exposure child outcome association is stronger compared with the paternal exposure child outcome association, this would suggest a potentially intrauterine uh, effect. Uh, but in contrast, if the magnitude of the association is similar, this would argue against the causal intrauterine effect and instead suggest that the association is due to confounding. And an example where comparison of maternal and paternal effects has strengthened causal inference for an intrauterine effect is the relation between maternal smoking during pregnancy and low infant birth weight. Uh, for example, in ASPAC, a strong association was found between maternal smoking during pregnancy and infant birth weight, while maternal smoking during pregnancy showed only a weak association and which all, almost disappeared when accounting for maternal smoking. But however, it's also important to, to highlight that the and although published negative control studies uh, investigating intrauterine effects have improved our knowledge of causal effects, they still may be biased because of unmeasured and residual confounding. So it's not like if you just use this approach alone, it still may not be sufficient to answer the question regarding the causality. There are still some, some limitations in, in whichever method that you use. Okay, um, and I think the same question again for um, a polygenic risk score. Um, uh, how, how is that helpful to your study and, and, and what does that mean in kind of practical research terms? Yeah, so um, the polygenic risk score analysis uh, use genetic variance um, as an alternative approach that can also strengthen causal inference when using observational data. And, and it's because genetic variants are randomly and independently assigned at conception and should in principle not be associated with factors that normally confound the exposure outcome relationship. And they can therefore provide stronger support for a potential causal effect. However, studies that use genetic variants as proxies for exposures rely on three main assumptions. And the first um, uh, assumption called relevance assumption Mm. Uh, indicates that the genetic variants must be robustly associated with the exposure of interest. 
the second independence uh, assumption, assumption is saying that the genetic variant is not confounded with the outcome or related to the selection bias. And the third exclusion restriction assumption indicates that the genetic variant is not associated with the outcome by any other path and through the exposure of interest, basically highlighting that there is no pleiotropy underlying between the genetic variants and the, the outcome. And like how, uh, in kind of broad terms, where, where things are on uh, are at the moment, how confident are you in those three assumptions? Is, is that something that, that needs more research to, to lend weight to this as a method? So um, this, the assumptions two and three, the independence and exclusion restriction assumption, these cannot be formally tested. And it's, it's also why you can't solely only rely on this one method. So that's why it's important to combine different methods and, and triangulate the findings across these. Uh, yeah, hence the triangulation. So, so, so when, when you talk of triangulation, you've, you've, you've got these three data sets that you've, you've anal analyzed in different ways. I mean, how do you, again, in quite practical terms, how do you go about um, comparing and triangulating those data? Do you, do you kind of get three screens up and, and put one on each and have a look at them? Or are there kind of more sophisticated methods of, of combining and analysing them? So I think the, like the, the most important thing to highlight is that, again, that there is no single method that can enable us to draw strong conclusions regarding causality as each method has its own limitations and different sources of uh, bias. And therefore like combining these different methods can help you to gain stronger support for a causal effect, as well as when you to run the analysis in three different cohorts. And, and uh, for example, if these different methods and also the analysis across these different cohorts provide similar results, then we can be more confident that the results reflect the true causal effect. And this is because it's unlikely that these different methods will be all biased in the same way. And for example, like the negative control design, design can be biased to the unmeasured confounding, but using genetic variants as proxy for exposure can help to overcome this limitation. And in our study, uh, these two approaches provided slightly different findings, as well as like we observed uh, slightly different findings across these, all these three cohorts. They weren't similar across all the exposures and in all the cohorts. And, and we observed some associations with the negative control method, but we didn't observe association with our polygenic risk score analysis. And this means that no strong conclusions on causality can be drawn. I think my last question, which I find really interesting, um... Uh, or I don't find the question interesting, but but the area, um, and particularly about how we can we can apply new methods to existing data sets and improve our understanding of, of what they what they say. Um, your uh, your analysis uh, gave different findings to previous analysis analyses um, uh, using the same data sets. Did you discuss this with with um, the authors of previous publications based on those data? Yes, actually we included authors who have published papers in a similar topic. For example, one of the co-authors, Ivan Dustrom from the Norwegian Institute of Public Health. Uh, he has done research on prenatal alcohol exposure and offspring ADHD. And however, in their, their study offspring ADHD symptoms were measured at age five. In our study, it was um, around age seven, eight. And, and uh, in the Norwegian study, the um, 
ADHD symptoms were reported only by mothers. We also included teacher report. And the study by Ivan Ustrom um, showed um, that there was no association uh, between prenatal alcohol exposure and diagnosis of ADHD. And in our study, ADHD symptoms were de-optimized by using high level of ADHD symptoms as a cutoff. And we also did not find clear evidence for a causal effect and as similarly to the study that used the diagnosis of ADHD. So there were like some discrepancies, but also like something that we found um, similarly. And another co-author, uh, Ted Rayborn Kennerud, also from the Norwegian Institute of Public Health, he has investigated associations between maternal and prenatal smoking and offspring ADHD. And his study reached to the same conclusion, indicating that there is no strong evidence for a causal effect of maternal and prenatal smoking on offspring ADHD symptoms. Uh, so yeah, just a short answer. Yes, we did include some of the co-authors who have uh, published um, in a similar topic. There's something very pleasing about that kind of um, um, progression of, uh, of, of findings and research that, that's narrowing in on, some, on an answer that you can be increasingly confident about. There's something very pleasing about being able to see that in repeated studies using, using the same data sets. Okay, uh, in, in, in which case, um, Dr. Elise Hahn, thank you so much for talking to me today. Um, thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Yeah.